Welcome to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. I'm Nick Sinclair and this is the go-to podcast if you're an accountant and looking to set up and build a high-performing offshore team for your accounting firm. Here you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity and deliver more to clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. Today, I had an insightful conversation with David Brown, Director of IFA. IFA is a mortgage broking business based in Melbourne that has four offshore team members with us at the outsourced account. Since hiring their offshore team members, David has told us that he has taken the first four-week holiday in more than 10 years. Discover how David and his team have managed to see the results they really want and achieve true work-life balance by building a highly effective offshore team. I'm David Brown, Director of Integrity Finance Australia, financing your future and changing people's lives, and you're listening to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. Dave, give us an overview of your business and your team structure, both your local and offshore team, how many team members you've got in each, um, and, and the type of work that you're doing, both offshore and locally. Thanks, Nick. Um, Integrity Finance Australia was born about 11 years ago. It was a joint venture between a group of financial planners, accountants, and uh, my current business partner, Daryl Borden. I joined the business uh, 10 years ago, uh, and around about eight years ago, Daryl and I bought out the other uh, the other business partners. Since then, we've continued to work with those business partners who were accountants and financial planners around Melbourne and we've actually grown the number of referral partners that we have from the accounting and financial planning fields. Uh, We also get a number of referrals from clients. As you grow your client base, uh, they refer on to other people because they're happy with our service. The services that we provide um, centre around mortgage mortgage broking, uh, home loans, investment property loans, We also do a lot of commercial property loans, business, asset finance, and um, in the last couple of years, we've had a number of clients approach us for assistance with development funding. So we're we're growing and branching out into into those fields. Excellent. And what's your team look like? So your team locally, your team offshore that you've started to grow and build? Daryl and myself, who are the two directors of the company, we we both... uh, are involved in the in the finance writing uh, as well. We over the course of the of the journey, we had another broker joining us when credit license came in uh, back in 2011. She didn't want to go and get her own credit license, and we'd known her for a number of years, so she rolled her business into ours um, and operates under our license and uses our name, Integrity Finance Australia. We have another two brokers who are also financial planners and they joined the business about three years ago. They made a decision or the business owner made a decision that there was enough uh, scope for referrals and to build a broking business within his financial planning and a newly, newly purchased accounting practice. Uh, so those guys being financial planners, we mentored through to becoming brokers and they also operate under our licence. We also have a PA in the office here in our head office in Dingley and our offshore team is uh, 
was up until recently was three, and we've hired, we've had a fourth one start, and we've got a fifth one starting in June. And that, that's grown fairly quickly since uh, we started about 20 months ago with TOA. Excellent. Now, Dave, do you guys do you have a niche market that you work with? Is there any type of clients that you ideally work with or for? We focus on all types of lending. Look, the majority is um, is mortgages, um, home and investment property loans. We've actually specialised in providing um, advice and professional advice and working very closely with the clients, accountants and financial planners. It's, it's really important that the right structure in someone's uh, lending is is um, preserved and or set up correctly and preserved throughout their their um, their relationship with us. And because we get a, a lot of referrals from the financial planners and accountants, we can establish professional relationships with them that benefit um, our mutual clients. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I know when, when I had my mortgage broking business, um, a lot of the industry in the in the finance industry get a deal done the way that they need to get it done to get the deal done. It's not necessarily in the client's best structural interest from a tax point of view. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, look, the fact that you work so closely with accountants and setting it up right from the start, it means it doesn't have to be redone down the track. Yeah, you see a lot of um, uh, clients come to you either after um, – They've, they've gone and purchased and they're looking for refinances and everything. You look at their, their structures and you think, why is this set up this way? It's just not right. It, it's leaving them open to, you know, potential for problems if they're ever tax audited. So, you know, it's something that we're very conscious of and, and always run a structure past um, their accountants, even if they're not a partner, referral partner we'll still go back and have a chat with them about uh, what we're proposing, so. Yeah. So Dave, you're obviously a mortgage or a finance business working obviously with the financial planning and accounting practices. Um, so you're not what I say our common client is. Most of our clients are accounting firms, but more and more of them we are seeing grow finance divisions. So tell us a little bit about your story for setting up your offshore team. What were the original motivations behind this versus obviously other priorities within the greater firm? We were a collection of individual broking businesses operating under one brand, and but we were all finding that we were getting a lot busier and the more the banks and other lenders were pushing out their work onto us, we're spending much more time on a particular deal rather than being out there seeing existing clients and new clients. So we were we were finding that we were becoming very time poor, in some cases working 80 hours a week. Um, and we went down the track of looking at staff in Melbourne and we over a probably a three-year period, we went through four or five people that had come on board, all various ages, all various levels of experience, and I have to say we we paid good money. Uh, we were paying market rates, um, and in some cases uh, probably a little bit above market rates here in, here in Melbourne, but we were just finding either they, they didn't want to work with us to help grow the business 
or or they uh, didn't like the hours. There was there was a number of reasons, including travel, and and it just didn't didn't work. So we we got to a point where we had to assess the business. Do we just go back to being individual brokers looking after our uh, our clients and our referrals that were coming in, and not really have a business that's going to going to grow significantly, um, or do we look at other options? And at that time, uh, one of our referral partners, and it's the one where we had the two uh, brokers in it that we met financial planning accounting firm, had started utilising um, the outsourced accountant, and uh, they suggested we have a look at this. So we, we did a bit of research ourselves. We talked to them about uh, about Nick and uh, and the team there at TOA, and we ended up just making the decision. This has already been vetted by somebody that we've known and dealt with for 10, 11 years. Let's not reinvent the wheel. And we jumped on board. You know, part of, part of the uh, part of the other things that we wanted to look at and was the location of uh, of the outsource team we were going to use. One of our brokers has already tried outsourcing in Australia here and she didn't really get dedicated person working for her and it just didn't didn't seem to work. Um, the model that was being presented or had been presented to that financial planning firm seemed to fit what we were looking for. Um, the English the English language was important to us um, because we had visions of growing the team where potentially there might be some customer contact. Um, cost effectiveness came into it and, uh, yeah, as we've seen, we've been able to, to grow quite quickly. Yeah, it's been a great journey. I mean, 20 months in, you're up to your fifth broker. Um, a large amount of your team are now in the offshore um, or in your global team. So how did you go about setting up? How I mean, obviously, you, you were referred by one of our existing clients, but tell us more around, I suppose, the setup process. How long did that take? Um, you're doing, I mean, the majority of roles that are in our global team in the Philippines are accounting-based related, so there's not a huge amount of other people doing the finance work. So how did you go about, um, obviously, the recruitment process, the type of people that you were, were interviewing, and then the onboarding process, and then how quick your team got up and running over there to do the lending process? I sort of, with our first role that we recruited, we utilised the expertise of our referral partner and the two brokers that were working in the business there. So the initial the initial brief, we'd uh, we'd had a look at and said this is the type of person that we needed, and that was provided to TOA. But um, the, the initial interviews were handled by a recruitment, by TOA plus the recruitment company that, that this financial planning business uses and then in conjunction with, uh, with one of the brokers out there and then uh, I just had a final um, look at it um, and said, yeah, this person looks okay, Let, let's, let's start. But we were looking for somebody that had had, um, had some some sort of loan processing experience. In the first round of interviews, there wasn't anybody that had, that had sort of popped up that had any Australian experience. So we went with somebody that worked for a Philippine bank um, and had some experience knowing that we would have to spend a fair bit of time with training. 
So I, I guess from the start to that of, of uh, making the decision to hire advertising happening and that person coming on board was quite quick. It was about a six-week period, I think. Then from there, we'd started the training process and we then decided there's three of us potentially going to be utilising this person in training. That's quite a lot. Let's hire a second one. So we put the feelers out fairly quickly for a second one and we felt that it would be... Uh, beneficial to have two going through training similar together. Um, so we had our second one start in October. That person, we were lucky enough to find somebody that had had experience dealing with an Australian broker through another BPO in Clark. And that was a big advantage to us um, in that uh, she already had an understanding and was able to help our first our first staff member to uh, to come up to speed with terminology, etc. We sort of run the training initially between between three of us, but we fairly quickly went to having one person in control of that and really driving the different bits of training that were happening. A lot of the training we do is on the job, uh, but. Um, how we do all of that is, is is improving every month as we go by. Yeah, great. So what are, just for our listeners, um, because this is obviously a different, or it's a niche area within, I suppose, our clients, so finance, a lot more of them are starting to do this. What type of work is your offshore team doing for you? The, the loan process is quite a, can be quite a long process from when you get your initial client inquiry through to your, your submitting a deal and then having having a deal settled. It can be a really extended uh, extended process and usually the quickest um, on a loan refinance would be a month on average um, on a loan, on a purchase of a property. It could be a you know, three, four months turnaround from initial uh, client interview through to settlement. So there's a lot of work that goes on in between there. We get them initially to do our um, data entry of client fact finds. Um, we've had to get a lot more savvy with our, with our broker's time over the last number of years with banks pushing out more and more um, of their process onto us. Um, we're, so we've had to develop uh, systems where we gather information from clients, initial information. It's enough for us to enter into our systems and then do an initial assessment on the client and, and meet with the client. Once we've met with the client and the broker does all the work that they have to do under um, NCCP legislation, uh, we can't outsource the broker decisioning and the broker recommending uh, side of things. So that still has to be done by the broker. So once that is done, then we push the work back over to, to Clark and they will help run through what needs to be done to prepare a loan application for lodgement with the lender and prepare the necessary documentation for client signing and also double check and tell us we need extra pay slips or we need extra bank statements, whatever is missing from a standard uh, banking checklist. Broker then has to check the deal and make sure it's correct before it's lodged. Uh, and then our, then our team will submit the deals to the banks and monitor them through to settlement 
Um, also, there is some liaison with the customer's uh, solicitor or conveyancer if they're purchasing a property. A lot of that is via email, um, but as they've as our team has gained experience, they're also having phone conversations with these uh, these parties. Um, they're also having phone conversations following up with the lenders on our behalf as well. So, so they're really doing it what we call a traditional packages role in Australia. They're doing the majority of that from over, yeah. over in the Philippines. We did not envisage that we would get to where we are so quick um, in, in having them doing sort of like an end-to-end role. Um, we thought it might we might have to spend a bit more time or it'd take a bit longer to get there. So we went in with an open mind, not knowing exactly um, how much of the process we would be able to uh, to pass on, um, but it has been a, a pleasant surprise that we can actually um, you know get them to do as much as they're currently doing, and, and their knowledge is growing every day. Um, when you're dealing with forty lenders, they're all different, and they all dif- have different uh, niches. They all have different uh, checklists that need to that we need to work to. Uh, they they treat income servicing differently, um, expenses differently. So there's a lot of work that needs to be to be done. There's a lot of ongoing training, and yeah, it's uh, something that uh, we've learnt and grown with as well as as well as the staff. Yeah, that's awesome. So for someone looking to set up an offshore team, what advice would you give them to move as quickly as possible? Um, you know, what are the three most critical things that you would spend your time on? I probably got. Got four. Um, the you you need to work a position description out first. As you've got to sit down and think about what you want them to to be doing for you, but don't limit it to that because I, I think you you know we certainly, as I said before, got got a I guess a bit of a surprise as to how quickly things were picked up and we were able to alter that position description um, to fit the people that we had working for us and get them uh, performing you know, additional tasks quicker. So, so having a position description, being flexible with it, trying to get your processes in writing and establishing checklists. Now, we didn't have enough of that in place to start with, uh, but we've built it over time. And now with our team of three, that are that have experienced now, we're now commenced training with the fourth person, and we're refining all of those checklists again, and actually developing more as they're doing the training. Where we're rewriting a lot of our checklists and procedures, so uh, it's something you've got to constantly visit, and there's always better ways of doing things. And I think, Dave, I'll chime in there. I think one of the things that a lot of um, people learn is that when they originally put a role into their global team, they think of it as one thing. But what we're really, I suppose, what a firm really needs to look at is what is the five-year plan for your offshore team and what levels of that role will you 
have over there. Um, yeah. but I think, you know, what you said, yeah. just start with the position description to start with, um, mm. get something in place of what the role will look like now. And then part of what we will work with you on is over the years is obviously building out the journey of your staff's growth, um, but also the journey of roles that you'll have over there. So look, what yeah. other things yeah. would you um, recommend our listeners spend time doing? Yeah, you've got to spend the time on training, providing feedback. You've got to get them to be comfortable talking to you and asking questions as well. That's really important. Um, embracing the offshore team, they are your team. They are a part of your team, um, you know, so it's a, it's making them uh, feel as though they're part of the team. Get involved with, you know, there's a lot of activities that happen um, over there, so be a part of that, uh, asking, um, you know, congratulating. We've got one staff member that um, is involved in a lot of the uh um, team building and, and singing and the end of year functions within um, within the uh, TOA organisation. So it's being it's encouraging and, and embracing those sort of sort of things that go on in the background is important. But also visiting the team. You you know like I've known some um, I've known other people that are outsourcing with other organisations and they've never been to India or the Philippines or, you know, wherever else they're offshoring to. I've found it beneficial to get over there and work with the team um, face-to-face as well as us. We've brought two of the team out here to Australia um, last year. So it is beneficial to, to try and be some face to, have some face-to-face time with them in person as well as using Skype, et cetera. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And look, they are your team. They're your global team. So if you're not visiting them, um, would you do that if you had another office in another location within your country? So look, Dave, if you had a word or a phrase to describe the value that your offshore team provides, what would it be? It, it's probably more than more than one word. I've, um, culture and dedication to work. Um, we've found that the culture of wanting to help a client is the same as our culture as, as, as a business and as mortgage brokers here. Um, our team have embraced that there's a customer at the end of the at the end of everything that we do and helping that customer achieve their objective is is the main game. And that's um, that's part of something that we've really found. And I think one of our staff members received an award for their um, level of customer service with a problem with a settlement late last year, um, received an award at the end of year function in December that TOA had for her her um, dedication and persistence in helping this client get, get a settlement occur. De- uh, diligence, care and attendance. Um, you know, so that's, um, they're always on time. Um, they're, they're, yeah, we have very little issues with attendance and they're always diligent in everything that they do. Excellent. So, so, so we hear a lot of perceptions about offshoring. What are the main things that you've heard and what surprised you the most? The, the main one and was um, taking jobs away from Australians. Um, there were a lot of people and um, friends and other Colleagues uh, had some had some apprehension to um, to to offshoring. Um, what we've found is that um, 
by building the team offshore, our business is now in a position where we're starting to look for an additional person in Australia to work with one of our brokers as a loan writer to assist with those broker decisioning tasks. So having the team in in uh, in Clark has helped us has helped us refine our processes and get the business to a level where we can take on more clients and that is already happening but now we're at a position where we need to beef up the off the onshore team here to be able to deal with future growth so if we hadn't have outsourced would we have had the same level of growth in australia with staff i don't think so awesome so dave probably leads into the next question the year ahead what's the plan with your offshore team um how do you plan to keep growing the team their capability and performance as I mentioned before, we've got two new ones starting. One will be um, working solely for one of our existing brokers who wasn't a part of our original um, offshoring plans. Uh, she has now decided to, because she's seen the success that we've had, she's decided to come on board with that. So that's one person there. That in itself will help this uh this broker to be able to um, refine the way she does things, um, decrease the number of hours she's working as well as increasing her volumes. Where we've recognised that we're at a level where we can't cope if we have somebody go on leave out of our offshore team. So we're gearing up with another person who's starting June. That will give us excess capacity at the moment However, we anticipate that will be taken up very quickly. So we're going to be monitoring our business volumes and we have made a decision that we always want to have some excess capacity um, in the team in Clark with what we're doing. Yes. Uh, yes. Cover, you know, holidays, sickness, illness and also increase, increasing business volumes. There's always so much to do. Any downtime can be spent doing further training as well so it's um it's something that's important to us um we're also stepping up the way we train improving our training materials and uh and plan on more face-to-face -face training throughout throughout the year excellent so recommendations to our listeners what are some of the top things that you would recommend they do in managing an offshore team i think we found by out of uh, our initial our initial uh, processes and, and and starting to use TOA, there is a need to just have one person in charge of the overall team. Uh, that's that's something that we found um, what it has been important. Uh, so any issues uh, from either onshore or offshore staff are brought to the attention of one person. One person's in charge of training, one person's in charge of compliance. So that relationship is managed. Um, you know, everybody think, knows that there is, they might do work for other individual people. So we have our staff allocated off to individual brokers, but if there's priority issues or anything like that, they know where to come to. That's an important part of it. Um, um, the regular daily contact with with uh, with your staff is important, either phone or Skype. 
um, is 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 important. I've always tried to do daily Skypes um, for at least the first three months when somebody's when somebody's uh, come on board to work. Um, just helps build that rapport with um, with with the person that you're dealing with, and I think you also should build into the business. Uh, a budget for um, for the requirement to hop on an aeroplane, either um, them coming to Australia or you going over to uh, to Clark to to visit and work for you know a week at a time is important. Great advice. So, Dave, metrics um, KPIs. What KPIs do you use to measure the success of your offshore team? I think. Uh, in, in our business at the moment and becoming ever increasing is the importance of accuracy. That has to be the main KPI. We're, we're experiencing at the moment um, a lot of change in the lending environment. Um, there are changes every week from the various lenders. We need to be making sure that we're working to their checklists Unfortunately, their checklists aren't updated a lot or aren't updated quickly enough every time changes are happening. So we've got to try and ensure that what we submit to a lender the first time is meeting their checklist because we're finding at the moment even if it, even if we do that, we're getting so many questions out of left field coming back. So the last thing we can afford is to have inaccurate work going off to a lender because it will pull that deal off the rails and it will never get back on as a high priority deal once if it doesn't go through their first uh, first pass assessments. So accuracy is really important to us in, in what we do. Also, the deadlines that are involved in a loan application. So meeting settlement dates, purchases that are probably the most important. They have finance clauses that we need to meet. We've got to keep on top of those. Um, if, if a client uh, misses a finance clause and they don't get financed, then there's all sorts of ramifications that happen. Uh, they lose money. Um, they potentially can be sued if they can't fulfil settlement. So that sort of thing is important to us as yeah. well. Yeah, great. So, David, how has offshoring benefited your clients? I would think initially there was... Um, probably not a lot of identifiable benefit to the client, but what we're seeing over over time is that um, each of our brokers are actually having their time freed up, so they can actually spend more time with the client and ensure that um, the client understands um, the the lending that they're being presented. Um, they're, they're understanding the whole process a bit better. They're getting a bit of a cut, better customer service overall from our organisation because we've got more time to spend with them at the uh, at the face to face, client face to face type interviews. We're also got more time for our annual reviews as a result of the individual broker spending less time processing. Okay, yeah, our clients are also benefiting from having additional people to contact. If we're out at a PD day or out seeing other clients and they've shot an email in, then somebody else is actually looking at that email on our behalf. And if they can answer the question, the client gets a response a lot quicker. 
If they can't, then there's a phone call message off to the broker who can assist in answering the question and the question's answered generally the same day rather than having to wait for a, for a particular answer. So we're just finding our overall customer service is, is increasing all the time. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, David, how has offshoring contributed to giving you more time personally? Has it given you more work-life balance? Yes, definitely. I could have used, I could have done with offshoring going back 10 years ago rather than waiting <laughs> until about 20 months ago. So um, I found trying to start up a business and having kids in teenage years and everything like that, you're just working um, more hours in the day than you're having to yourself or sleeping sort of thing. So 18-hour days were not uncommon. Um, for over the over the 18 months, 20 months that we've got on board, I've, I've, no, I've changed my work-life balance a lot uh, in that. Um, I've been able to build in this year going to going to the gym three times a week, which um, I wouldn't have done 12 months ago, two years ago. I wouldn't have had the time to do that. Um, last year in June, I took my first four-week holiday in well over 10 years uh, because I had the confidence of knowing that my business was going to still be able to keep going if I wasn't actually here in Melbourne. Okay, so it did still require some monitoring from uh, from France on on the uh, internet and everything, but I knew that if clients were ringing up wanting to uh, book an appointment for a loan interview, um, they were either it was either being booked by somebody for me when I got back or refer, or booked in with one of our other brokers. Um, all the loans that I had that were due to be settling while I was away. They all settled with no issues because we had staff following it through. So that's been a big change for me. And, yeah, uh, awesome. and I'm now able to build some holidays into yearly plans. Excellent. So besides it giving you obviously significant more time and the ability to go away, has offshoring had an effect on your um, profit for the firm? Yes. Um, look, it's um, initially... You know, when you're putting on any staff member, regardless of where it is, it's something you've got a budget for. So it does take a little bit of time to be able to see the benefits of that. I think we're seeing it now. Um, we're certainly um, writing more business as, as a group um, and um, that in itself is, is improving profitability. We're still increasing the staff numbers um, on a regular basis but we're also, we're not decreasing profitability as a result of those extra expenses. So, and that's going to continue to increase because we're able to spend more time um, refining processes as well. And um, so overall, I think we're, we're, we're on the right track. Yeah. And that's it's something awesome. you should have done earlier. Mm. Hindsight's a great thing. So, Dave, um, what one bit of advice would you give your younger self from a business point of view? To take the leap and put on some staff initially, uh, whether it's um, whether it's it's onshore or offshore. Um, in in hindsight, I would would have looked at on offshoring earlier. So, I think you get the the benefits of. Um, assisted growth in the business and profits if you if you bite the board in doing it earlier. Um, I'd come from a banking background 
Daryl, my business partner, has come from a self-employed uh, person background uh, with, an, with an accounting background. So we, we're both very, very different. And as in my early days of in the business and broking, uh, making that transition from corporate to being self-employed was difficult. And he would always say, now, you'll come to a point in time where you need to spend some money uh, to help grow your business and everything. And I never really quite got there early enough. Hindsight now, and especially with the offshoring, I would I would really recommend somebody doing that a lot earlier than what I did. Yeah, no, that's great advice. So what's one bit of advice you'd give your younger self from a personal point of view? Amongst other things, some I won't talk about here, but uh, keeping yourself fit and healthy and maintaining the acceptable work-life balance. Um, you can get really run down starting a business um, and um, trying to maintain that regular income uh, is something that I think from a personal point of view, um, yeah, it, it's just important and I should have uh, should have been trying to incorporate that um, from my personal perspective going into self-employment. Yeah, great. What's the biggest myth or objection you've heard around having an offshore team and is it true? Um, I think security of data has been a it's, – it's topical at the moment um, and um, it's something that has been a concern to our, our brokers as well as, as um, other people in the industry that I talk to and know about. Um, and but what I think we've found is that TOA have a robust security system in place with the how the how the staff enter and exit premises, not having USBs on premises, monitoring that sort of thing. It's probably better than the security systems that that uh, many firms in Australia have in place. Um, you know, it, it, it's just something I, I just think it is and. Um, we've we've got no issues from that side of it, that side of it, which is good. Excellent. So, for someone looking to grow their business or their team, what would be the best piece of advice that you've heard and implemented that you could pass on to them? Think outside the square, um, and you know, if if you are looking at growing your business, then you should not discount what roles can be offshored and you can consider growing your business onshore with people that are going to be in roles that will help uh, will help generate income. Excellent generate advice. Income. Yeah. Now, we're going to finish off the podcast with a quick five questions. It's five in five. So what cloud software do you use? Office 365 and Dropbox. And uh, we're also using Google Sheets for uh, um, some checklists and work monitoring uh, tasks, that sort of thing. Excellent. So what's your favourite app? AFL and North Melbourne Football Club. <laughs> Wonderful. What is your must-read each week? Friday football teams and industry articles. Got to get those football tips right. <laughs> and your favourite social media channel? Uh, Facebook. Excellent. And your favourite KPI? Accuracy. Excellent. Now, David, if our listeners want to reach out and get in contact with you or stalk you on social media, um, what's the best place for them to find you? Yes, um, our website is 
Uh, www.integrityfinanceaustralia.com.au. Um, that's got all uh, contact details uh, for myself, Daryl, and uh, any of our other brokers. Um, Facebook, uh, either in Integrity Finance Australia or myself personally, um, and mobile phone zero four zero nine zero five one triple one. Excellent. So we'll put the rest of those details in the show notes. Excellent. Thanks, Nick. Cheers. To follow our podcast and get insights from leading accountants, simply visit theoutsourcedaccountant.com or visit iTunes or SourCloud and head to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. To connect with me personally, just look for my Twitter handle at Nick Q Sinclair or find me on LinkedIn at Nick Sinclair. Thanks and have a great day.